Hello, what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxton. We're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweeten and James. Looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. I was off last week and I've had withdrawal, so I'm delighted <laughs> to be back today. And we missed you, James. The public of Salford were calling out your name, but you weren't here, unfortunately. <laughs> So there's loads to go at uh, on, on the show this week. We're going to start uh, with a football, James, and Salford City with a home draw against Sutton United. Um, it's a draw for, uh, at home, so they've gone two draws in two games uh, at the moment. Uh, Gary Bowyer's men will be looking for that first win, and they need it quick. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, you can argue there's a bit of disappointment there with them obviously not winning a game yet, but they've not lost one either. So I suppose there's an element of positivity there. Look, we didn't do enough to, you know, get the win ultimately. And maybe we were hurting from that Derby game. Of course, we pushed them so close, didn't we? 3-3 three, three, and then ended up losing 5-3 on penalties. And of course, we maybe expected to beat Derby, of course, beating them in pre-season. Hopefully, you know, we could have done the double, but it wasn't meant to be. But I think we can get a win against Crawley and Swindon coming up this week. I mean, Crawley, not the easiest place to go to, but we've got home advantage against Swindon. And I think we can get some results out of those games. Yeah, looking back at the one against Sutton United, quiet first half, James. Second half, Salford had the chances, and I think Gary Bowyer, which we will, which we'll hear from in a couple of moments, he talks about the chances being created is a good thing. Not finishing, finishing them is is a problem, but at least we're making chances. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, we've not quite found the finishing touch yet, but I mean, all the magic's there, so it's only a matter of time, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, here's uh, Gary Bowie now, giving his reaction to the draw against Sutton United. After another point on the boards, uh, it's a very difficult game this afternoon. Um, I think you know the lads will know they've been in a game uh, the way that it was. How did you see it? Yeah, listen, uh, it's the second week running um, where we've come up against um, a well-organised, uh, disciplined uh, outfit and I thought that we went about it well we've um, started the game a bit slowly but the second half in, in particular we really upped the tempo first half <coughs> excuse me probably only had uh, Conor McElhaney's shot and um, you know get, um, Matty Lund's effort where it's a great cross that comes in uh, second half you know, we, we, we controlled the game and it was just disappointing that we couldn't find the winger, winner. To look at the other end, though, uh, first clean sheet of the season, how good's that? Yeah, definitely. I'm delighted for Tom and the back four, especially. I thought uh, two centre-halves today were magnificent for us as well. Um, and it's always good, to uh, confidence-wise, to give the, 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 the back four and the goalie a clean sheet. Um, and, it, you know, it's important. We just said that at the at the end of the game there, that for as much as we control the game um, you make sure that you, you don't lose it on the break or at the end and that's exactly what we've done to be fair with uh, the, the save that King has pulled out Is it encouraging that the chances are being created? Yeah least? definitely we've, we've, again we've just talked in the dressing room with the players and saying that, that, that's the time where you worry when uh, you're not creating the chances or you're not playing we're, we'll play far worse than that and win and and uh, you know that's that's the, that's the course of a season. You know that's what happens, and so we we've got to build on the positives and and dust ourselves down and get ready for Tuesday now. Going into Tuesday, obviously, it is you know early season, games coming thick and fast. Is that a good way to start? Yeah, I think so. I think obviously the the, the games, the more the games you get, the better it is. But um, obviously, 
we need we need to keep working on on the patterns that we want to see in the final third, especially, and uh, and keep going with it. So that was Gary Boyer reacting to the the draw against Sutton United, uh, James and. He says it was well organised. The defence was well organised. It was a disciplined performance. And I suppose in games like that, you've got to be disciplined because if you're chasing a goal, you can't afford to leave the back door open and concede one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can chase that three points all you like, but at nil-nil, if you then concede, you've lost everything, haven't you? So it's better to take a point out of a game than nothing. You've got to stay disciplined. You know, those one-point draws add up towards the end of the season, and it can be, you know, the difference. One point could be the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. So I think it was quite a well-disciplined and mature performance from Salford. But moving on to Manchester United, Rob. First things first, I mean, it was a fantastic week for them and a fantastic Saturday, really, with two huge pieces of news. First things first, we've got to tackle it. Rafael Varane has signed for Manchester United. He was announced on the field of play. Manchester United fans absolutely over the moon. He's a top-class defender, one of the best in the world. And I think the combination of him and Harry Maguire at the back is going to be an extremely tough one for attacking strikers to break down. How big an impact are those two men going to make at the club when you look at Maguire and Varane at the back together. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, people talk about Man United's Achilles, Achilles heel is the centre of their defence. With Harry Maguire and um, Varane in, in that centre-half sort of role, it's going to make a big difference. They are going to be solid. He is a proven winner um, you know, in, in club level and at international level. James, and, and you're kind of hoping he can bring that to Old Trafford. Man United, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, trying to build this winning culture, trying to build a team that's going to win trophies. He is used to doing that. He will bring that mentality to this team and these players. And, and that's the important thing, because obviously we, we've been short, haven't we, in the last few years, in big games where we haven't been able to to make the difference and, and sort of win games, which gets us up the league and gets us competing for championships. So you're hoping with him in the team, him being able to do things and win things at other clubs uh, will rub, will rub off on the Man United players uh, and then we'll be there and thereabouts uh, towards the end of the season. Most certainly. And then we look towards the game that we've just had. Manchester United versus Leeds, a 5-1 victory. An absolutely superb performance from the Reds. I mean, we went 1-0 up and then, of course, there was that absolute wonder goal from mm-hmm. Ayling to make it 1-1. And you're worried whether, you know, maybe it could finish 1-1. But Manchester United bounced back in absolutely fantastic fashion, winning 5-1. Fernandez bagging a hat-trick, Greenwood and Fred begging goals as well. I mean, surely that size of what's to come this season. I mean, we're top of the league at the moment. And, of course, with Manchester City losing to Tottenham, maybe United are here to stay. This is it's big, big results. Every, even at the beginning of the season, James, you can't really afford two drop points. And it was a bit of a stumbling. It could have been a stumbling block for Man United, a potential banana skin. Leeds United, with all that history of Lancashire and Yorkshire and, and Eric Cantona and the White Rose and the Red Rose and all that emotion, which the, the fans really kind of feed off. The players, you know, the first game back uh, with the crowds, it could have been a difficult moment for Manchester United, but it wasn't. It wasn't Man United were professional enough to get the results uh, which they need. They got the goals. They played well. What about Bruno Fernandes? Hat-trick man. Fantastic him, James. And, and he really showed the, the class that he's got. Yeah, most certainly. I think he's an excellent player. And somebody else who hopefully is going to show a lot of class at the Theatre of Dreams is Sancho, who officially made his debut for Manchester United. And albeit brief, it was great to see him on the pitch. 
yeah, Jaden Sancho, you know, the complete centre forward. He, he he says that he's, he's a street footballer that, that made it. And that's that excites people, the way you can beat people, you know, the dribbling, the step overs, the, the ability just to glide past the opposition. And that and that's the difference uh, when, when you're competing at the very top level. You have someone in your team, James, that can that can do something and make it happen. Then that's the difference between a goal and a no goal. And I'm, I'm sure... Ollie's excited about that. The fans who are watching is excited about that. And he's the kind of guy that's going to take Man United to the next level. Talk about going to the next level. What about Paul Pogba? Fantastic performance for him against Leeds. Four assists in that midfield. Um, you know, showing the genuine class that he's got. Most certainly. I mean, Paul Pogba, people can talk about the man's attitude. But when he's on form, he's on form. And he's an absolutely fantastic central midfielder. I mean, he's so dynamic. His passing's so brilliant. He's technically absolutely superb. And I'm hoping this season with the likes of Varane and the likes of Sancho in the team, I hope he can develop a bit more of, you know, motivation. Because maybe with these two players, we can become a Premier League, you know, contending side, a team that maybe can win the league. And hopefully Pogba can get a bit of motivation off the back of that and can play his best. Because if he does, we've got a real, real shot because he's an absolutely fantastic player. But Rob, I want to talk about some more controversial issues surrounding Manchester United this week. And there's two of them that I want to talk to you about. But the mm -hmm. first one is Phil Jones. Right. I mean, Varane's come into the club and he's demanded the number four shirt, which of course belongs to Jones. Jones has refused to give it up. A lot of fans are, you know, getting on Phil Jones' back saying, you know, that he, he should give it up. Varane's, you know, coming in and he's going to be potentially the better centre-back and the starting centre-back. I'm more of a more looking at it as, you know, you look at Phil Jones and you think, you know, why should he have to give his shirt up for somebody coming in? I mean, what, what stance do you take on the matter? Yeah, Phil Jones has been a, a long-time servant at Man United. He's always had that pressure on his shoulders when Al, when Sir Alex Ferguson called in the next Duncan Edwards, and that kind of put the big the big pressure on him. Has he fulfilled his potential at Man United? Probably not. Uh, he's had injuries, he's had lack of form, and he has gone down the pecking order. He has that number four shirt at the moment, and why would he want to give it up? He, that's his number at Man United. That's what people remember him as. Giving up his number kind of rings the death knell on his Man United career. And I think he, in his own mind, probably thinks that his career at Man United is still alive. It's not at the end, even though he is down the pecking order when it comes to centre-halves. Um, we'll, we'll only look at him and, and give him a chance this season. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, especially with the with, with the new talent coming in. Um, but yeah, for me, I think it's better we, he kept it. Um, I suppose it would have been better for Man United to have um, the the new choice sort of centre halves in the in the in the one to eleven uh, mould, but that's the way it is. You can't do anything. Uh, Phil Jones is number number four, and he wants to keep it. James, what what do you think? I think he should get to keep it. I mean, despite what people say about him, he's done his time at Manchester United, and I think he deserves to keep that shirt. I think it'd be somewhat disrespectful to take it off him. Hmm. So I hope that he keeps it. I mean, Varane's coming in, and yes, Varane, a fantastic player, and will probably be our first-team centre-back alongside Harry Maguire. Yeah. But that doesn't get rid of all the work that Phil Jones has done for Manchester United. And you can't just come into a club, demand a shirt, and take it off someone who's been there for so long. So from my perspective, I do think it's unfair on Jones, you know, for everything that he's done. But look at another issue within the club this week. Well, it's not actually an issue to do with Manchester United. It's just to do an issue with Leeds United, actually. Oh. Of course, they're associated, of course, with Manchester United all being, you know, them, them playing them this week. But Leeds fans bursting into the Piccadilly Tavern. 
vehicles and all sorts of stuff. I mean, there's families in there, mm. you know, with their kids having their breakfast, having their meals, and they've got football plans, you know, trying to get into the building, trying to attack people, trying to cause a bit of a ruckus. It's a bit of a disgrace from my point of view because you're not going after fans if you're just bursting in there. You're going after, you know, the everyday man who's just trying to have like a meal with his wife and his kids and a couple of pints. It, it felt it felt difficult to watch the videos that have surfaced. Yeah, football is is a family sport, James. The 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 decade of of, of terrorism, uh, terrorism, football hooliganism has has gone, and football has moved on. They want to portray a sort of family atmosphere, um, and and they do that in a way. Um, hooliganism hasn't gone away, um, and it is a shame that these scenes happen. Uh, the football authorities will need to stamp it out. Uh, both clubs will probably need to put, have video. Uh, you know investigations on it and and the culprits will be will be will be caught and, and punished accordingly and you're hoping that'll be the end of it um and we'll, we'll have to wait and see obviously it's a big thing for Leeds United you know they're uh, one of Man United one of their main rivals in it in, in their in their head so they they see the 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 trip to Manchester United as, as being the big moment in their season so for it to be the first game of the season has that little bit of pressure as well uh, so I can imagine half of Yorkshire emptied when they, when they, when they, when they realised what the fixture was going to be. Uh, but on the field, that's what we want to talk about, don't we, James? We want to talk about the excitement on the field, the goals, uh, and that's what the Premier League is all about. Uh, and I'm sure the authorities, Man United and uh, Leeds United, uh, will will deal with the, the culprits currently. Yeah, we all hope so. But Chelsea have had an absolutely fantastic week. Not only did they bag a 3-0 victory over local rivals Crystal Palace. They also signed Romelu Lukaku for £97.5 million. Yeah. An absolutely monster signing. Of course, Lukaku's last spell in the Premier League ended a bit bitter with Manchester United, but he's been playing absolutely excellently in Italy, and what a signing for Chelsea. Blows my mind, James. It really does. Lukaku couldn't, bag, couldn't, couldn't trap a bag of cement at Man United. How how is he worth ninety seven and a half million pound? I don't, he's played for Chelsea before, so they know what he's what what they're getting. Um, I think it's just football gone mad. I, re- I really do. Uh, yeah, he is a good centre forward, but he isn't a top four Premier League centre forward for me. Uh, Chelsea, uh, with you know with with the new coach there, he's probably looking to put a stamp on it, and and he looks at Lukaku as being the the final piece in their jigsaw. Will it will it be that final piece? I doubt it very much. I'm I'm here to be proved wrong. I'm I'm happy if uh, Lukaku goes and bags thirty goals this season and scores against all the top four uh, teams. That you know I'll I'll hold my hands up then, James. Say yep, yeah, he's turned the corner in his career, and Chelsea have got the best of him. But what I saw when he was at Man United, he was never going to be at Man United centre forward, and never going to be the the person that made the uh, the difference. It sounds like you you're uh, on the other on the other other end of the scale here, James. Oh. Well, I mean, Inter Milan, in 72 appearances, he bagged 47 goals, which is obviously fantastic for him. The question is off the back of that, Rob. Was his style of play maybe more suited for the Italian league and he's going to struggle in the Premier League? Or was it just the dynamic at Manchester United he didn't like? Well, I'm I'm not... I can't admit to being the, the, the biggest Inter Milan fan and how they play, but... With Man United, he wasn't able to to hold a ball up. He wasn't able to link play between midfield and attack and get Man United on that on the front foot. Do Inter Milan play differently? Do they use him as a as a as a figurehead in their attack? 
I'm I'm probably guessing that they don't. Italian football is much more tactical. It's much more slower. Uh, so they might not have to have to hit him early to get the ball up the field. Yeah, he scored lots of goals in Italy for Inter Milan. Doesn't make him the the finished article. The Premier League is a different kettle of fish. It's a different animal. It's speedy. It's strength. It's power. It's everything. And if you can do, if you can go and score thirty goals, forty goals in a Premier League, you know, season, that will will mark you on the world stage. And it's up to sort of Lukaku to to make his ninety seven point five million pound price tag, um, you know, look worth it. We'll have to wait and see, James. I'm not going to be convinced until he bags sort of five in his debut next week. Yeah, most certainly. It'll be very interesting to see how Lukaku gets on. And, you know, as a Manchester United fan, Rob, maybe you'll be looking at it thinking, hopefully he doesn't perform, no. obviously, playing for Chelsea. But uh, the biggest transfer, well, one of the biggest transfers ever, maybe. Lionel Messi has mm. signed for Paris Saint-Germain, maybe the greatest footballer of all time. He's finally made the move away from Barcelona. And so many questions to be asked from this, Rob. I mean, for years we've said on this show... But the difference between him and Cristiano Ronaldo is that although Lionel Messi may be more talented, Ronaldo's done it in so many different leagues, whether it be in England or whether it be in Italy or whether it be in Spain as well. Whereas Messi hasn't done that. He's stuck at Barcelona, but now he's finally left. He's gone to France. You know, Paris Saint-Germain, one of the best teams in Europe. But is the French league, does it stack up against these other leagues? I mean, will he get the credit? I mean, when we look at what Ronaldo's done in his other leagues, hmm. will Lionel Messi get the credit and be on that level if he does it in France or did he need to go to Germany I, I or think England or whatever yeah, I think he did James I think going to France uh, we know the French league isn't the great the greatest league in Europe um, is it as good as the Spanish league probably not he is getting older but he still has your know, genuine uh, skill and he's genuinely probably one of the best footballers uh, in the world today would it have been better for him to go to somewhere like Germany or to the Premier League and test himself against the very best. It would have been a massive gamble because if it doesn't work out for him, don't forget he's 34 year old now. He's not he's not 28. He's not at the peak of his powers. He's coming down the other end, let's be honest. So if he doesn't get to the heights, goes to the Premier League or the German League, doesn't get to the heights that we've seen in the in the Spanish League, people start thinking, oh, we knew he wouldn't make it. But, He's 34. He's, he's not he's not the spring chicken anymore. Going to that French uh, league, you know, he'll probably still be able to show the, the, the class. But thinking about it, Paris Saint-Germain didn't win their domestic league last year. So that they'll be looking to get back in that, you know, back in the title, you know, title winning mode with him. I think the important thing what you look at is with that Paris Saint-Germain team is all the egos. Mbappe, um, Messi, um, Di Maria. You know, there's, there's full of them. They're all massive, massive players. And he has to fit himself in there as well. And it'll be interesting to see what happens as well. Herrera, another, another you know, big influence on that PSG squad. Uh, and how does he mix that? How does he get involved in that squad and, and become, uh, you know, a big figurehead? Because it could go the other way, James. It could go the way where everyone wants to be their main man. And you can't all be the main man. So... People will have to shift Mbappe, another another one where he's used to being the top man, and if he can't be the top man, it becomes a problem. So we'll be interested to see how how the coach manages to juggle that, um, you know, they, these players and make them perform because it's like it's like playing FIFA, and it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's it's real life, not a computer game. 
Yeah, most certainly. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see how PSG next, do, do next season, you know, with all these egos, etc. I mean, mm. we look and we're going to have a front three of Lionel Messi, Mbappe and Neymar, and yeah. they're three of the best players in world football. Mm. I mean, could the egos get in the way there, or do you think they'll be as good as they could be on paper? Well, yeah, I think it could be, James, because the, these top players are top players for a reason. They make... They score the goals, don't they? They're the headline grabbers. And if you're all got egos, who does all the donkey work? Who gets them in the position to score the goal? Because I don't want to be seen as the, as the water carrier to give the Mbappe the score. I want to be doing the scoring. So really, Mbappe should give it to me, not the other way around. And it's that kind of sort of uh, you know mentality that he'll have to change. Also, the fact that you know PSG are just talking about winning the, winning the European Cup. So their main focus is getting to the you know the latter stages of the European champion European Cup and winning it. But we all know we've watched the you know European Cup football you know through the years. It's never that simple. You you know things can happen. People can get injured. You can go to sort of out of Russia and and you know draw and, and drop out and things like that. So the the gamble of Picking all these players and and saying we're, we're really concentrated on on, on winning the uh, the European Cup is a massive gamble for me. Um, and if they do end up sort of going out early, that that'll be when the problems start because these players are there for the European Cup. They're there to win that. So if they aren't able to win it, that's when the cracks might appear. What do you think? I agree with you, Rob. I mean, is Lionel Messi going to get used to a level of success that isn't what he had at Barcelona? Hmm. I mean, PSG, you know, they haven't won a European championship and it's not not necessarily looking like they'll win one anytime soon. I mean, you never know. They could win this year. I mean, with the front three they've got, if they play as they can, I mean, who knows? Maybe they can. But it's difficult to say, isn't it? And he, is he going to cope with the French lifestyle as well? He's so used now to being in Spain and he's not going to be playing world-class football every single week like he was doing in Spain. The standard isn't going to be as high. And I mean, maybe that gives him an opportunity to score more goals and it'll boost his ego even further. Or maybe get a bit, I mean, could he get a bit bored playing in that league? It's going to be interesting to see. And how long do you think he'll stay there for? Well, he's there for two years, isn't he? And then an, another one if he needs it. Um, being paid something like 200,000 300,000 a week a lot of money uh, for for PSG to roll over if they're not competing at the very the better the better end of the Champions League so it's going to be interesting to see what happens um we're all going to be on time trucks. We're all going to be watching. I think I suppose it, it pays for itself really because we're all going to be watching the French league now when we probably wouldn't have been even though there was Mbappé there um, and and Di Maria and, and all them, we weren't tuning in to see what happens. Now Me- Messi is there, we're always going to have that one eye on it to see what's happening. And I suppose that helps the broadcasters. You know, it bumps up the prices for that kind of thing, and it kind of pays for itself in the long run. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. And now moving on to Manchester City, a one nil loss against Tottenham Hotspur. I mean. Mm. A bit of an upset there. I think people thought Manchester City were going to win this one and, you know, in the pursuit of defending their league title. I mean, two questions first here, Rob. I mean, how are Manchester City going to cope with losing this one? I mean, it's a big dent to their confidence. I mean, they were so close last year to being invincibles, weren't they? And now it's been completely blown out of the water this season. And interestingly enough, Harry Kane wasn't playing for Tottenham. I mean, what do you make of that situation? Yeah, it's a, it's a big situation, really, James, because obviously Man City have been in the market for a, for a goal scorer, haven't they? And with Harry Kane, you know, wanting to leave Spurs 
and Man City asking the question whether he's available for Harry Kane not to play sends a message both to Man City and to Tottenham that you know the move is possible for me. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, Man City didn't score today, so Pep's going to be sort of sat there in his boardroom saying, "Look, I need a top quality centre forward. Aguero's gone." Uh, Jesus isn't isn't the answer for me. Uh, I need Harry Kane to make this tight, you know, this squad complete. If you want me to go and win a, a European Cup again, you know European Cup, sorry, and you want me to win a Premier League again, and you know attack on all fronts and talking about quadruples, I need the best players that are available. And Harry Kane will will help my squad be able to deal with the with the rough and tumble of the Premier League and all the other competitions that are involved in. So it will be interesting. Obviously, they've got Jack Grealish as well, the hundred million pound uh, midfielder. Um, he got yellow carded as well um, for, for, for I think it was for diving. So he, he got a yellow card or foul. Someone else dived, you know, with him trying to make a challenge. So he wouldn't have had too much of a, a good uh, debut for Man City. But with Kane and Grealish firing, there's going to be a lot of creativity. Don't forget. You got De Bruyne, you got Sterling, you've got you've got creative players there already. So Man City will be a real force when the gears start to click. Um, but yeah, defeat against uh, Tottenham, not the end of the world. Well, it might well say not the end of the world. The way the Premier League set out now, can you really afford to lose any game, James? That, that's the question. Because obviously, if you if you're getting beat uh, this early, it's three points dropped, and you're going to hope that someone else drops it somewhere else, aren't you? So. Uh, yeah, Pep will be frustrated, uh, but I suppose there's another what 37 games left, so I'm sure he'll catch up, catch it back. Yeah, there's most certainly time to turn it around, Rob. I mean, the last football question of the day for you: the next fixture coming up is against Norwich. Of course, they just got beat three 0 by Liverpool. So, if you wanted a game where you can bounce back, surely this is the one. Yeah, Norwich. Uh, are... An average Premier League side, uh, Man City will be looking to to shake the the Tottenham result sort of out of the system and and get a result there. Going to be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, you want to get that first win, um, and we'll have to wait and see what happens with with Pep and Harry Kane and and Grealish at you know, that point. Well, certainly. And now moving on to the world of ice hockey, Robin Manchester Storm have been busy again in the transfer market. Who's come in this week? Yeah. Busy Manchester Storm. Uh, Liam Morgan has uh, signed uh, for this season. Uh, Jack in the box goal scorer. 11 goals, 16 assists in 39 games last season, James. Ex Belfast. He will score the goals which Manchester Storm need and they, that will propel them up the league. And that's the important thing uh, for Ryan Finney's men. They've got players on that ice that can score goals now. They will be a threat going forward. Teams will know what will happen when they play Storm. Storm will run at you. Storm will come and they'll have to be ready because they've got players there that can score goals. Liam Morgan is one of them and he, he's going to be a, you know interesting signing and we're looking forward to seeing that at the Storm Shelter this, uh, this season. Most certainly. And tickets for two friendly games have been announced. Can you tell us about that, Rob? Yeah, they play... Cardiff Devils on the 19th of September, uh, £15 for adults, £10 for concessions and £5 for children. And on the 22nd of September, they play Coventry Blaze and that's £10 for adults, £10 for concessions and £5 for kids. So very affordable for families to go and to go down to the 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 uh, the ice hockey and, and watch it at the Storm Shelter in Altrincham. You know, it's a fantastic sport. 
Manchester Storm do great things both on and off the ice to, to engage with families. Uh, and I'm sure the people who are listening to us on, on Salford City Radio who really, you know, fancy taking in the ice hockey will be will be making a, a beeline for the Storm Shelter on them two days to soak up the atmosphere and enjoy the enjoy the matches. Most certainly, Rob. Now moving on to the world of boxing, and I'm joined by Paul Whiteside. And the first story we're going to talk about, Paul, is Errol Spence, who's had to pull out of the fight with Manny Pacquiao on Saturday with a torn retina. And that's a bad injury, isn't it, with the eyes? Oh, it certainly is. He certainly is. I mean, you talk about injuries in boxing and nobody really expects something something as intricate as that, really, do they? But that, yeah, for, for, for any sort of sportsman or athlete, you know, problems with your eyes and that is is, is a big one. And, and in boxing, yeah, it's... It's a shame that really is. I mean, I don't know whether he's got that in, in sparring or in, in training, I presume. So, uh, really unfortunate, really unfortunate incident. But it's one of those, you, you've got to recover. I mean, an eye can take as long as it takes to recover, can't it? So, uh, wish him all the best in his recovery. And let's hope that, that that fight gets gets put back on track because sometimes, you you know, as well as I do, James, in, in boxing, injuries and that can scupper fights, can't it? And then those fights never never happen again, never get, get put back on the track. So, um, so yeah, re- really unfortunate to use that this week. Most certainly, but there has been a replacement announced and Jordinus Ugas will step in with just a week to go and many people will remember him beating Sean Porter, albeit he didn't get the decision, but he's the WBA super champion and with just a week to go, it's a huge risk for Manny Pacquiao to take this fight. Do you think he'll still get the victory or will Ugas get an underdog victory? Yeah, well, you'd expect Manny Pacquiao to be to be the man for that, wouldn't you? He's done the training camp, he's prepared, hasn't he, for, uh, for Earl Spence and all right, you're not fighting him, you, you've got a different fighter, but that can be dangerous sometimes as well, you know, looking at the other side of the corner, you've got a fighter who's coming in and not, I don't know how, how he's kept himself right. I mean, like most boxers keep around about the weight, don't you, just in case they're going to get an unexpected call-up and things like that. So sometimes it can work favour for the for the underdog. You know, you've less time to worry about the fight. You can just prepare on that week, you know, all guns blazing on the uh, on fight night and then and then go in there and cause the upset. So it's one of those. It could go either way. It should be intriguing and uh, an exciting contest. But I think if you ask Manny Pacquiao, he'd, he'd rather take a fight against somebody stepping in rather than the fight get cancelled altogether because if you've done a most lads do like a 12 week camp don't they I think these days 10 to 12 weeks and you're putting an awful lot into that you, you, you're sacrificing things you're not seeing your family you know you're putting your body through absolute murder for, for that for that three month period so for that all to go to waste it'd be such a shame so I, I bet Manny Pacquiao's delighted he's got a fight although it's not against the, 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 the fighter that he's prepared for most certainly. I mean, Manny Pacquiao is 42 years old now. And Ugas is obviously in the prime of his career. He looks spectacular against Sean Porter. He looked good in picking up a world title himself. I mean, at what stage will Manny Pacquiao begin to get older? Because that process looked like it was taking place against Jeff Horn. They managed to reverse the clocks back against Matisse. But how long can Manny Pacquiao go on for at a world level? Do you expect him to win this weekend? Um, I think it's going to be a tough, tough one for him. I think it's one of those. It could go either way, and and you're looking at that fight, and it could be the the fight where sort of father time catches up with him. Um, there's only Manny Pacquiao who will know when it's it's time, you know, to to, to call it call it a, a day, if you like. Because um, I think when you look at boxers, <clears throat> they, they some, sometimes can go on too long, but. I don't know. Sometimes I always think it's up to the boxer. When the boxer's not got that hunger again to, to get in the gym and do his training, I think that's when you know it's the time's right. I think it'll just happen all of a sudden. 
Um, you can get people telling you all sorts of advice, but I think you know as a person when the, when the time's right. So at the moment, Manny Pacquiao must still have that hunger, that desire, that fire in his belly to go and you know train every day and and put his body through through the ringer. I mean, he must still have that fire and desire. So if you've got that, you're going to keep going, aren't you? But no, this 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 is a tricky one for him. Obviously, you're fighting against the guy who's at the prime of his career. He's obviously going to be a lot sharper, a lot quicker than Manny Pacquiao. You know, that's what age does to people, doesn't it? It slows people down. Reactions aren't the same. So he's got to rely an awful lot this weekend on his experience and, and, and sort of that wildness that he's had over the years and, and that ability to throw the amount of punches that he throws because he's got that experience and he'll be relying on that, you know, you know is, a, is a massive tool for him at the, the weekend. But no, this promises to be an intriguing one and, you know, it, it'll be a huge fight if he wins it as well. And if he does, then does that say in his mind, we're going to carry on and do a bit longer? So we'll have to wait and see. Remarkably, David Hay has renounced his comeback at 40 years of age. Of course, his last couple of fights against Tony Bellew ended in defeat, but he'll be taking on Joe Fournier, an 8-0 fighter on the undercard of Oscar De La Hoya and Vito Belfort. For those who don't know Fournier, he's an 8-0 man, a billionaire, actually. He's had, made a career out of fighting journeyman. But of course, he's a businessman and he's made a lot of money in that field and decided to turn over into the world of boxing. I'm led to believe that these men are quite close friends. So some are speculating, you know, it'll be quite a, a nicely contested fight. But David Hay, you know, one of the hardest punches the heavyweight division has ever seen. And, you know, his punching power is anything but friendly. So do you think this could be a serious fight or do you think it'll be, a, do you think it'll be quite a nice affair? Uh, I've no, to be honest with you, I've never seen a nice fight, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I think they're very lucky if it's going to be a nice fight. I, I, I don't know. I think with David A, I think perhaps he's got a bit of unfinished business in the sport, you know, particularly his fights with Tony Bell, who didn't go his his way, did they? And he had a lot of problems with injuries, particularly in the, he was the first fight, I think, wasn't it, where he's uh, fighting really on, on one leg, wasn't it, at the time? So, so if I was him, I'd want to... to, to put everything into this and you know show people you you've, you've still got it but it does seem a bit of a come down for him you know you're fighting an eight and old guy who's probably not got anybody of any great notice on his record really when you think about people that David A's been in with in his, his career you know at world level you know fighting elite fighters and in some fantastic fights some massive fights as well it must be a bit of a come down for him so uh Sometimes, like you say, he's 40 years old. What what do people want to get back in the ring? What do they need to prove? I don't know whether David A really needs to prove anything. He's been a guy who's been at the top of his sport, hasn't he? And, you know, and been at elite level, you know, obviously quite a while ago now. But what does he need to do? What does he gain from that? So uh, is it going to be a bit of an exhibition power? I'm not too sure on that one. I was very, very surprised when I, when I heard the news, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, do you think it's the wrong decision for the haymaker to be coming back? Um, I think, I think if he's still got the fitness, um, uh, which I think he has, I don't think he's a sort of guy who piles absolute pounds on between fights. I think he sort of keeps himself pretty trim, looks after himself. If you if you still got that heart and that desire to get in the ring, then then why not? I don't question anybody to do that. You know, if you you still want to do it and you you've got that belief and and hunger to fight, then then yeah, you should be allowed to give him the chance. I mean, I know we say he's forty years of age, but there's been boxers. You know, at, at top level, that have boxed well on into the 40s. So I, I think, yeah, yeah, I know it's an old cliche, age is just a number. But, you know, if, you, if you've still got the fitness and uh, and you've looked after yourself, and I don't see that being a problem. I just question the guy he's fighting, really. You know, is it because he's his friend that that's why he's fighting him or he's close to him and it will be a bit of a, 
don't like saying knockabout, but a bit of an exhibition fight there, there, there may be. But I, I don't see boxing as that sort of sport. I know other sports, when team sports, and play friendly games, as they call them, pre-season games or whatever. But I don't see boxing being that. I mean, when you step into that ring, what does the referee say to you? Protect yourself at all times because it's it can be a brutal sport, can't it? So I don't see how you can sort of tap away at somebody. It's, it's all or nothing to me, boxing. So, um, so it'll be an interesting contest anyway. Talks between Amir Khan and Kelbrook have once again caught fire. I mean, is there any chance this could get over the line finally, Paul? I know either a longer associated with, you know, Eddie Hearn and Dazone, but I mean, is it a fight that the British public is still after? I mean, for once, it seems to be Amir Khan banging the drum. I mean, it was, you know, widely considered it was Kelbrook more keen for the fight, but now Khan obviously calling for it. And do you think he's seen vulnerabilities in Kelbrook now and he feels like the timing's right? I think possibly, yeah. Over the last couple of years, you've possibly seen vulnerabilities in Kelbrook. You know, he's 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 an ageing fighter, I suppose, now. And so is Amir Khan, in a way. Do I think the public are still interested in it? Just about, I think. Um, I think the public were interested in it a while ago. And it's one of those, you sometimes have to strike while the iron's hot. You know, people like Kelbrook will be top of the game maybe, I don't know, five, five or six years ago. That's when these fights need to be made now. Yeah, they probably they still be you know the boxing purists would still love to see that fight, but if the longer it goes on, the more people sort of drift away from it. New people come along, don't they? You know, there's Amir Khan and, and Kel Brook. I'm I'm not being disrespectful to him here, but there's there's other people now that have come onto the scene, haven't they? And probably are, are slightly in front of them now in the rankings and things like that. So it, it, there's no doubt about it. they're still two quality fighters, <coughs> but. You know, this fight needs to happen sooner rather than later. You don't want to be leaving it too much longer. I mean, I wouldn't like to say how old growth of a man. I'd say Kel Brook's over 30, isn't he now? Definitely. And is Amir Khan in his 30s now? So it, it needs to be made. It really does need to be made. And I don't see what the hold-up is sometimes. I mean, just get around the table and, and thrash it out. If you both want to fight each other, I'm pretty sure you could come to an agreement pretty quickly. Most certainly. And there's been mass controversy this week, Paul, surrounding the WBA. After a fight between Gabriel Maystreet and Mikhail Fox, most felt that Fox was the victor until the scorecards came back and gave Maystreet the victory in a very, very controversial fight. Now, recently, tweets have been dug up by one of the judges in that fight, one of them who scored it wide in favour of Maystreet, Gloria Martinez, who'd actually made some racist tweets in the past, uh, referring to Michelle Obama as monkey face on social media, which, of course, very disrespectful and deeply offensive. And Mikel Fox, an African-American himself, has struck back and said, well, I never had a chance going into this fight because the judge of my fight was, you know, a racist or has made racist comments in the past. And... Unfortunately, in addition to this, there was an employee of the WBA in the corner of Gabriel Maestri as well, which has led to a lot of corruption claims towards the WBA. And the ABC, the overall sanctioning body of the United States of America, have hit back at the WBA and refused to sanction their fights in America unless they reduce the number of world title belts. I mean, there's 44 world title belts in the WBA and there's only 17 weight classes. So there's problems with that in itself. And they also need to address this racism issue. I mean, Chris Mannix referred to them as blood sucking leeches on his own. And there's, you know, there's people like the fight disciples who are leading the, you know, the bin the belts campaign will boxing news and boxing news as well are both saying that we shouldn't be recognizing the WBA. And it's looking like finally the WBA, you know, could be unlicensed as a sanctioning body in the United States of America and indeed worldwide. It seems a mess, James. It really does. And, you know, they're losing credibility, you know, by the day, aren't they? I mean, like you say there with the belts, you know, the judging as well. 
I don't see how in eSport where where someone can make comments like that on social media or, or make comments just in, in life and then just get away with it and be able to... I mean, can you imagine saying something like that in, in your job day to day? I mean, I, I don't want to come across as some, you know, one of these, like, what they call them, like, these lefties who... Who sort of have a go at everything? I mean, I know life goes on and people say things, but to say something when you're in the public eye like that is a very, very silly thing to say and a very disrespectful and hurtful thing to say. And then to be able to do that job, I just don't see how they've got away with that. So you can understand where, where the fight is coming from and, and the scoring of it and all that. It just makes it lose all credibility for me. That and you know the WBA, like you say, is in an absolute mess. And um, and yeah, you can see them losing the license and. And it, it just getting worse and worse, but real, real bad story for the sport, and it just makes it really, really negative as well. So, uh, so yeah, bad, bad news that this week. Yeah, it's deeply disappointing seeing uh, tweets like that come to the surface. But moving on to British soil, and Joshua Boazzi has emerged as a bit of a world level threat after he beating Ricard Balatnik by knockout. Somebody was expected to give him a test, and he did just that. A lot of people are now saying that Boatsy's ready for world-level contenders at light heavyweight. He's ready for the likes of Baturbiev and Bivol. But a lot of fans are also calling for big domestic fights. I mean, there's a plethora of world-level fighters in light heavyweight in Britain. I mean, Lyndon Arthur, Anthony R, Callum Johnson, they're all in and around that level. And I think they'd all be fantastic fan-friendly fights for the UK. But DAZN seem to be steering Joshua Boatsy down a different path. And Tony Bell, you said that the British fans aren't interested in matchups with him and Yard and Arthur and Callum Johnson, etc. I mean, I don't think that's entirely accurate from Tony Bell. I think people would be keen to see these big domestic fights. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've got another guy in Callum Smith there as well who's going up to, to light heavyweight, isn't it? I know he's probably looking down different different paths at the moment with him being uh, after after being a two-weight world champion. But there's some super fighters, as you just mentioned there, at, at, at light heavyweight. And I, I'd say, and I've always said that, I think the, the British fights are the ones that the public want to see. I, I think particularly in this country. I mean, I know there's some fantastic fights out there you know, around the world, but... The British fights always seem to, to capture the imagination, don't they? And especially the, the North sort of be South rivals and things like that. So, so yeah, I think I think there's there's big fights for Boatsy, uh, uh, British uh, in the British scene. But yeah, there's there's world fights out for them as well. And he's proved there with that victory that I think he does belong up there. Now he, he's he's beating everybody in front of him that he's, he's been put in front of him, and he's showing some great power, some great speed as well. And he's really good to watch, really fast hands as well. So. He's um, he's definitely got himself up there now with 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 a, with a super fight. I think you know maybe just just down the line shortly in the next few months or so. And last boxing question of the day for you, Paul Guillermo Rigondeau lost by a split decision in his attempt to win the WBO bantamweight championship of John Real Casamero. And at his age now, it could be the end for Rigondeau. And it's it's been an interesting career because of course he was a two-time Olympic gold medalist and. Obviously, a multiple-time world champion, one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the sport. But his fighting style never captivated fans. And I think people remember him in the UK for beating Jazza Dickens. He broke his jaw in the second round. But throughout the bulk of his career, he's failed to grab the attention of the supporters. And in addition, he obviously fought Vasily Lomachenko. He quit that night and he wasn't in much pain particularly. He just felt you know, frustrated being able to not, not hit the Ukrainian. But... Do you think his, how will his career be looked back on, Paul? Because of course, a man, a monster talent, a fantastic fighter, beautifully skilled as Cubans often are, but not somebody who ever connected with the public. Yeah, that's right, and and sometimes that's how it pans out, isn't it? You know, certain fighters, 
the public take to, don't they? The, the certain characters, and you can think of some boxers in this country who are probably not nowhere near the talent of him, and and they've had a lot more adulation just because of the character they are and the way they box and the way they portray themselves. So, yeah, I don't think the um, some of the fights have, have done him favours, like the one you just mentioned there. So, um, against Lamanchenko, I mean, could have could have carried on in that fight, but you know, due to frustration, I think supporters look at that sometimes. You know, and fans of boxing and people who pay the money to go and see it, and that sticks with them sometimes, doesn't it? So, yeah, you, you don't help yourself in that in that vein sometimes. So, um, so yeah, but there's no doubt been a good fighter, but a public favourite, you know, probably not. No, it's saddening and it'll be interesting to see how people do reflect on him in 20, 30 years' time. But anyway, that's it for the boxing today. Now I'm going to throw back over to Rob so you and him can talk all things rugby. Yep, let's talk with talk about Swinton Lions to start with, Paul. They were defeated at home to Batley, 38 points to six after sort of two decent results for Swinton. Step back this one. Yeah, um, I, I thought it'd be a tough uh, a tough fixture for them today against Batley Bulldogs. Batley have been a surprise package this season in the Championship. They're a tough side to beat, aren't they? Particularly up at Mount Pleasant in, in Yorkshire. But I thought with it being at Swinton, he would roll. They've had a couple of good results, haven't they, over the last couple of weeks. Got a draw last week against Oldham. I thought, you know, the, the third game running, they, they could really make a fist of this. And I know they scored early doors, didn't they, from Martin Ridyard, got in front, got a lead, and looked like they were doing okay in that first half. But Batley Bulldogs have, uh, have put them to the sword in the end there. And, uh, you know, and, and handed him a bit of a hide, and I expected, I, I did expect a bit better the, off that the, from Swinton today, to be honest with you. Yeah, Bradford next week, opportunity to bounce back. Another tough game, though. Bradford are in, are in pretty good form, aren't they, at the moment? They've had a, a decent result this week, haven't they? beat Newcastle, so they're chasing the playoff spot as well, aren't they? So that's going to be a tough game for uh, for Swinton. As they've, they've, they've all been tough games this season. Bradford, I think they're up. In the top four at the moment, aren't they chasing uh, chasing players as they say? So that's going to be a difficult game for Swinton. And you, as, as as I said though, Batley Bulldogs they're fifth in the table. They've had a good year, so it, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to get results. But uh, but yeah, they're going to have to have a have a good week this, this week in training and uh, attack that next week because Bradford will be a tough test. Yeah, let's talk about Salford Devils. They were victorious uh, at weekend. They beat Huddersfield Giants at the AJ Bell Stadium. They won 18 points to 12. Uh, great result for Richard Marshall's men. The return of Ian Watson, uh, not so good for Ian, uh, but good for us. Yeah, it was an excellent second half display, Rob. I thought the first half, it was... I thought Huddersfield had the better of it in the first half, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, they, they, they took that lead, didn't they, into half-time, 8-6. Oh, they looked pretty... Pretty comfortable with eight points to nil. They had us at arm's length and they should have scored again, really. I mean, the, the interception try looked all on a try for Huddersfield. They had the numbers on us there. And if they'd have gone over there and made it 14 nil, it could have been a different story. So I think that was definitely a turning point in the game. You know, um, the interception try from Reese Willis. I thought the second half, though, Salford came out and played some some cracking stuff. They created chances. Two of the scored an excellent try. That grubber kick through for, for Jack Armour. I thought our defence was outstanding as well in that second half, you know. It, it didn't um, score a, a try in that second half for Huddersfield Giants. So uh, it was a good display from Salford and a very gritty performance and a very welcome one. I think they, they thoroughly deserve the two points. Yeah, Ian Watson not so happy uh, with the with the result. Obviously, coming back to your former club, uh, disappointing for him uh, to obviously have been beaten twice uh, this season by Salford. Yeah, he wasn't bothered though, was he, at the end of the <laughs> game, so he said. But uh, no... Listen, I, I spoke to Ian Watson a lot of times when he was at Salford and uh, had a lot of respect for him as well. And I understand his frustration, Rob. I think what we've got to look at is 
he was interviewed there after the game. Uh, he's probably full of emotion. He's just come back to his former club. You know, he's probably got a bit of stick off the support. But, you know, that, that sport, you know, he left Salford and, and he's not going to expect people to roll out a red carpet for him. So, you know, he's come back and, and got beat. I think the, the way he said about they lost the game, we didn't win it, I think was a bit naive to say that, really. I thought three tries to one, Salford were the better side, weren't they? Huddersfield might have a lot of possession, which they did, but they didn't score with it. So you can't have your cake on both sides, can you? If you've got all that possession and you play well and you didn't score, you've got to give your opposition a bit of credit because they must have defended well. So, so yeah, but, but it's sport, Rob. I understand his frustration. and Sometimes people say things in press conferences when they're under a bit of pressure, don't they? And, uh, you know, we'll forgive him for that. I don't think he's a bad egg, is he? You know, I think he's a decent bloke. And uh, I wish him all the best. Let's hope he does well at Huddersfield. But I think at the moment, I think Friday night was all about Solf and all about Lee Mossop as well. It was great to see Lee Mossop, you know, bring the ball out. And it was great to see the side putting such a, such a determination performance. And, you know, we saw some of the photographs from club photographer Steve McCormick at the end of the game. And, you know, some of them, picture paints a thousand words, as they say. Don't they? Some of those photographs were fantastic. And it was great to see. Great for the supporters coming back as well to, to get such a good win. And I think great for Richard Marshall. You know, he had a difficult season with COVID and things like that, playing games behind closed doors. Great to see the supporters cheering and Richard on the pitch there at the end and the lads in the dressing room banging the drum and, and Salford getting a good result. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to current uh, Salford coach Richard Marshall after the game. Uh, and this is what I had to say. All right, Ricky's Rob. Hi, Rob. Congratulations on a good win tonight. Must be proud of your boys' efforts. Yeah, that's a good word. Proud. I am proud. I'm proud of the club, our skipper. Um, the the 17 who went out on the field today and played so valiantly. I thought it was a great effort, a really, a really good team effort. Um, bit scrappy in parts, uh, field position we didn't we didn't own or earn the right to play in the right area of the field, but we just kept turning up defensively. And, and that goes a long way with me as, as head coach. I thought it was great. And yeah, I am a proud coach tonight. Yeah, first half was a bit scratchy. kept sort of dropping the ball, but completely must have been frustrating for you. Yeah, yes, it is. And, 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 and it could have cost us. It could have. It didn't tonight. But yeah, we've got to be better. We've got to be better with the ball. We've still, we've still got some improvement. I thought, you know, we took uh, two. He took his try really well. We, we opened him up well, and we were on when Christian made that break. And, and even towards the end in that second half, we managed to shut the game down. Um, very similar to, to how we played them last time. Um, yeah, but discipline again. I think we lost the penalty count by three or four penalties. So that again, that's. But it, 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 it did matter. But in, in the game, in the context of the game, our defence was was on fire. Yeah, crucial moment just before half time and just after half time. The two tries swung the momentum your way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know the, the momentum is important within games. The players spoke about that, trying to generate some rook speed and some momentum. Huddersfield did a really good job in limiting our field position. They managed to, to 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 bend us back on play one and play two, something that obviously they they, they looked at in the week. We've got some really good outside backs, and and they managed to handle us for periods. But I thought we, we came over the other side. Yeah, as you say, a couple of important scores, and then and, and then just a, a doggy defensive display for the last twenty minutes, really. Yeah, and that Joel Burgess try saver at the end. What a moment that was. Yeah, outstanding, uh, outstanding. Uh, what a, what a player he is. Um, did a real good job. That goes a long way for me. The the efforts that you do off the ball for your teammates. Uh, and I know Lee Mossop's uh, name would have been ringing in his ears when he when it when he when he managed to shut down that play. 
Any injuries from tonight? Uh, I've not had a chance to speak to Rob, our physio, quite yet. Um, I think we got a couple of head knocks, didn't we? Um, James Greenwood and Chris Atkin got stitched up at half-time. Um, I'm sure they'll be fine. They both passed. Um, yeah, no, no one came off with, with, with an injury t t tonight, which, fingers crossed, we're, we're OK tomorrow. Yeah, Lee next week. Yeah, big game. Uh, big game. Yeah, we've got, we've got, yeah, we've got some momentum leading into that game. Um, really pleased. I'm not going to think about Lee. I'm just going to enjoy the performance this week. We've got a bit of a longer turnaround, which is excellent. Um, yeah, we can. We'll probably have a few players back from isolation as well. So I think we'll be picking from decent a decent amount of players, which will be great for us. We'll have a good week this week. Cheers, Rick. Good luck. So that was Richard Marshall, Paul, talking to himself after the game. And he said he was proud of his players' performance. Uh, and the club, obviously, this week with the retirement of Lee Mossop, uh, serving up a result and the performance for him was uh, very important. Yeah, he certainly was. You know, I think the press build things up, don't they, in the week about the Watson um, returning and Luke Yates coming back and things like that. But, you know, Richard Marshall's, you know, every time you speak to him, every time I spoke to him, he's always got a lot of class about him, I think. And he's a real sort of gentleman, down to earth guy. And he just wants the best for self. And I was very pleased for him, really. He's starting to get results now. He's had some good results, you know, recently. And we've had some big news this week as well. It's been an up and down week, hasn't it, with the signing of Brody Croft. That's, you know, real excitement for next season. But then obviously you had the Lee Mossop story as well. So, you know, it was just such a shame that Lee Mossop had to bow out, you know, in retirement due to shoulder problems and, you know, things like that. But it just shows you what, what these guys put themselves through, you know, the the pain barrier that puts himself through but I really enjoyed Friday night I thought it was a, it was a great match to watch particularly that second half and it's great when you've got a crowd there again isn't it you know games behind closed doors just weren't quite the same but that crowd and atmosphere on Friday night was, was special yeah, the biggest moment of the game, Joe Burgess, um, fantastic tackle at the end to stop the Huddersfield winger going over in the corner. It's moments like that that shape seasons. And I think we'll look at back at that moment uh, at the end of this season and think it could have been a big turning point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you go back to 2019 and that Nia Levels tackle, I think it was on Jordan Rankin, won it in the playoff game against Cass. And, you know, tackles like that, they spur the team on, don't they? And, you know, tries win your matches, but so does defence sometimes. And, you know, that, that was a, a try saver there. And Huddersfield scored there. It could have gone to goal the point extra time. And then, you know, you, you could have lost the game. So, yeah, I thought Joe Burgess played really well for us on, on Friday night. There was some real big performance. I thought Jack Armanoy was outstanding. You know, Sam Luckley, who I think has been excellent, you know, getting better every week. I think he's going to be a be a real, real good player for us next season and get even better and better. So, so I thought there was some some real good news stories for us there. I thought, you know, some real big performances, and we've got to take that into Lee now on Sunday. You know, we've got a, a big game at Lee. You know, they've not won a game yet, but they'll be itching to win one. So we can't overlook that. We've got to go there, be professional, and, uh, and do the business on Sunday at Lee. Yeah, Lee away will be a will be a difficult uh, place. They haven't won one uh, this year. Uh, yet uh, and our record isn't the greatest at least so it will be a big test it will be we've not won a competitive game I think we won a friendly there didn't we there's one of their first yeah. games there but we've not won a competitive match there so we've had some hidings there as well so so yeah I'm expecting a tough game though Rob they, they've had games where they've come up just short I mean I watched their match against Hulk Air a couple of weeks ago and they could have won that game and then look what Hulk Air's done this weekend they beat Wigan so they're, they're looking really really good so, uh, so yeah I don't think they're a million miles off they seem to tire sort of the last 20 minutes of matches for some reason, but I think they'll be throwing the kitchen sink at us on Sunday, so we need to be switched on there. We don't, that could be a potential sort of banana skin for us.
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, like you said, an announcement of Salford's recent signing, uh, Brody Croft. Uh, what do we expect from him uh, next season, Paul? I know he looks like a talent. He's playing for Brisbane Broncos at halfback at the moment, so he knows what he's doing. Hopefully, he'll bring a lot to Salford. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He looks a very exciting player, but I don't know tons about him. I have seen him this season play for Brisbane. He's playing in their first team. He's been pulling the strings for them as well. And we know it's a, it's a very, very elite competition as the NRL. So if you're doing a good job over there, hopefully you can you can bring it over and uh, and perform in Super League. So uh, I seen an interview with him last week, what the club did, and he looks uh, you know he looks really excited to be coming and looks like he's got a really good attitude. He's only 24 years of age as well, so it's not like he's coming over here for a retirement sort of payday. He's coming over with something to prove. So. Uh, very, very exciting signing, Rob. So um, let's hope that that's going to put bums on seats next season, get people talking about the club and we can sign one or two more players. We've got the makings of a good little team at Salford. And if we can add to that, and you know, next season could be a real, real uh, real challenge for us again. You know, like the 2019 season, it only takes you to get that bit of momentum and start winning matches, build a bit of positivity. Look at what okay, I've done this season. They, I mean, they could go to the grand final this season with that sort of team spirit they've got. So uh, let's hope that Brody can bring that to Salford next year. Yeah, it's going to be super amazing. Uh, we'll be talking all about it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Big fact, tune into this week's uh, Sports Zone uh, with me and Paul Whiteside. We cover sport every week on the Sports Zone, and we're really glad that you tune in with me, James Paul, and uh, hope you tune in next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. Then, thanks, and we'll see you next week.